week, another podcast. Welcome back to Crash Chords. We return with another album, another review, another topic, and John's stupidity. Oh, Ow, just that hurt, that Ooh, hurts. Right up front with that. Well, I figure since the jabs usually come at me right after the intro's over, I'd take an early strike. No, I appreciate your candidness. That, that, that was nice. Pointing um, <laughs> <laughs> out John, dumb John. Dumb, 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 okay, we're dumb, allowed dumb, to be dumb. self-deprecating, not just generally deprecating. John deprecating? <laughs> John deprecating. <laughs> Okay, it's a separate category. You're right, you're right. I'll save that for the comment board. <laughs> um, I'm banning you from the comment board. Before we get into uh, this week's album, um, a few things I want to bring up up front. Um, I haven't mentioned him in a while, but MC Frontalot has a new record coming out, I believe, in a few weeks. Um, he just debuted his new single, Much Chubbier. Um, from the perspective of three trolls talking about how they can terrorize innocents to get fatter. Um, and in all the ways they can do so. Um, is this trolls as in people trolling online? Or no, trolls, trolls as, as in, in living under a bridge. Billy Gruff style. Yes. Okay. Um, the album is called Question Bedtime. And I think it's a um, concept album having to do with, you know, dreams and nightmares and nerdy things related to that. And, and don't scoff at Billy Goats. Because they beat the piss out of some some trolls. They're pretty badass. I'm not scoffing. I just... The name. (laughs) Very superficial level there. (laughs) Yes. Next Um, topic. And I thought I'd bring this up because I did interview Nerdcore Rapper last week, uh, uh, Tribe One, which we had posted. And so I wanted to talk about MC Frontalot's new record. I'm going to see if I can get him on the show at some point when he comes back from tour. Um, other than that, uh, the Wasties are playing this week. If you're hearing this on Thursday, go to the Waste Station tonight. Rush over there. Oh, you with that. Yeah, I'm terrible at remembering the week before. Um, but go see them. They're playing at the Waste Station at 10 p.m. They I have... will not be there, but cancel enjoy. your plans. Exactly. You're missing if it. If you have any. Yes, I'm actually missing it because I'm going to be going to see Power Man 5000 and Head PE play that night at BB King's. Um, Mark Young, who I'd interviewed, oh, that's got the, me that's in. That's the long awaited August tour. Yep. Nice. So I'm going to go see them, and Spiderhead mentioned possibly doing a one-on-one interview while I'm there. So we'll see if that happens. So we might have a follow-up interview for autographs with Power, uh, Power Man, Frontman, Spider One, which would be great. An in-person interview. Yes, which would be the first one for uh, autographs. That said, I think we can get into the album. John, what did you bring us this week? John's turn. This week, I brought Slow Club and their newest piece, Complete Surrender. Ooh. First of all, I like the title. I do like the title. It's Complete very nice. Surrender, not necessarily indicating to what, although we can infer. Uh, this band is, makes, is made up of two individuals, Charles Weston and Rebecca Taylor, both multi-instrumentalists. Uh, on tour and in the studio, they do get guest musicians, but most, if not all, of the actual music is written by them. Uh, it is. They were. They were formed back in the mid two thousands, two thousand five, two thousand six. Their first album was about two thousand eight. They are an indie pop rock, or indie folk pop rock band. Um, they've even likened themselves to more contemporary pop artists like Taylor Swift, like as a good thing. Well, I mean, truth I've is- listened to some of their previous work actually. I've hopped around on on Spotify, and I do did notice more of an indie folk, like a like a serious indie folk side without necessarily throwing in other styles like they were wholeheartedly in that genre and you know they had this kind of cool he she duo thing going on and that actually is very present in their vocal work the way Mm -hmm. they actually not just harmonize but trade off on singing 
we'll have yeah, tracks very, that are just... Yeah, it's very even-handed. There's really no primary singer. They, it's, it's as needed as and the songs it's, are written. It's sort of the same way that uh, Steam Powered Draft works. It, they, will, they will feature one of their specific vocalists at a time and then harmonize. But each song each has will have its own little flair because of the individual singing. Yeah. Um, and then also, some, some are, are certifiable duets. Yes. Throughout. Uh, it's actually, it, it's, it's a little refreshing. No, no real front man in this duo. It is. We've had just a lot of front men recently. And anyway, this is a band that's also been touring around Europe, Asia, uh, North America, Australia. They've been at quite a few places. They've done a lot of uh, touring with, with bands like Mumford & Son, which ah, obviously you can see how they would fit in there. Yeah. Uh, the whole feel-good factor, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's the idea that they're, they're indie. It's Mumford both indie they're folkish but this album itself is not just an indie folk pop album once you accept that of course indie has be- has been acceptable for a very very long time now yeah, as, it's as, as much... almost the pop the pop style of today without necessarily going the direction of let's say you know true pop stars like Katy Perry, uh, Katy Perry or or even Miley Cyrus, you know, yeah. it's, um, well, also indie, in- I think is just the much more, it's the more acceptable without really putting yourself in a niche. Necessarily. Well, it's the popular way of how genres become genres by the, what they're named, not by sound initially. Like, you know, indie alt, these are all things that were words to describe that eventually became just a, a genre, you know? Right. And they pull from, they pull from folk. I find a lot, but they yeah. also pulled from like this whole, post-punk kind of thing um and that's i don't know that's generally how i would define indie at least in the 2000s because i don't really believe that it that it took shape until the 2000s in a modern sense yeah but it was very quickly popularized i don't think it was ever anything that was particularly independent so i think this is a good place to segue right on into our first track of the album we've got tears of joy which is the intro track to the record um, one of the first things you notice as soon as the song starts is the brushwork on the snare drum. You know, it's something that I've heard in certain certain forms of folk and, and, and Irish rock. They tend I, to use that kind of stuff. I took it in a di- different direction, personally, because I, I tend to use that effect in... Uh, I tend to hear that effect a lot in jazz noir. It's it's very commonly... It sets the stage. You get that nice, smooth brushing across the snare drum. It's... it's um. And so it's, it's like someone going shh in your ear. Well, it completely set the tone for the early part of the song. I mean, it, it looked like it was going in that kind of jazzy noir direction. It did for the whole first um, the whole first verse. Yeah. It seemed like that. So I was um, it's, yeah, I, it's, I was very pulled in at this stage. That that slow, gentle groove uh, becomes a theme for a lot of the album, at least in the introductions, if not in complete songs. Smooth. It's gentle. It's dark. It's kind of intimate. I would immediately use that word uh, for the beginning here. But I did notice that, at least as we end the phrase here, and sort of, I believe it was just about to go into the chorus at this moment, it kind of took an uplifting turn. Because, you know, dark, intimate, not words that necessarily imply uplifting, but at least it doesn't have that carefree nature. It implies more of like a contemplative feel. But the second we take that uplifting turn in the chorus... The, uh, you know, the chord progressions are much more, you know, kind of free, a little bit predictable. Um, I'm not saying that it's, you know, divorced in any way. I think it was it was perfectly synced up musically, but it was a bit of a letdown for me because I felt like the, the former had more potential. Well, this isn't a uh, 
sad or negative kind of a song. This song is of about course being it's called happy. Tears of Joy, but it's tears of joy. You know, it's it's. You're I, so happy you cry. That's not. It, there's there's no melancholy here. It's, yeah, it's not tears, no, you're right. I wouldn't use the word. I wouldn't use the word melancholy necessarily, but tears of joy, you know, almost implies it. it it's not so carefree necessarily. It seems like it's a more deep, profound sense. of Well, joy. yeah, but well, I think tears of joy because it it has that kind of feeling of or that connotation of that more profound happiness. I feel like this layer of what seemed warish and kind of mysterious overlaid with a more upbeat sound is a good layer for this kind of emotion it really can i feel it conveys that kind of tears of joy feel in a sense like you have to release at some point yeah you know you have to kind of just give into it ah, yeah probably, and know. i think that actually is very appropriate for the namesake of the song it had a very i mean all in all lyrically and sound wise especially after the midpoint it was very sweet very endearing and you got a sense of this love that is being sung about yeah. I will say the plus side uh, is that the melody was a lot more showy in the chorus. I found that the melody was, you know, not that the melody had been anything to ignore up to this point, but uh, at least at this point, it really goes for it. And I, I was, I found myself acknowledging it as, okay, pretty great singers. But when they bring it back after that first chorus as a, a sort of like an A prime in the verses, I did like the way that they were expanding upon it, with that, that they were building it. Earlier uh, on. A lot more yeah. comping involved, a lot heavier on the bass, added a nice rumbly, but not like fearful or angry undertone, just like a deeper feeling to what was going on in the melody. It was a, a more expansive, but it was sort of infusing that joy from the chorus into the more contemplative verses. Depends on the way you look at it. I mean, that's almost a reverse. I suppose I see it as like the melody was sweet during the dark, intimate verses, and then it took off during the more carefree, uplifting choruses, which is kind of the inverse of each other. That was my experience with it, at least. Well, I see, I see that declaration of happiness in the chorus. For sure. Really infecting that first contemplative verse and making it more uplifting. Yeah. The overall vibe of the song is ultimately uplifting, which is what <laughs> Tears of Joy would be. Very uplifting, satisfying, and it's still that release. You're so happy you cry. Yeah, it's that release. I see, I, I don't know, I guess I, I am kind of holding off, though, because it, it released, it did release the potential of the intro, and I'm still sticking by that, that I felt like the song could have gone in more um, a more diverse direction, perhaps exploring other areas of joy than that, you know, I'm really... Harping well, on the word carefree. Here. I mean, I carefree guess I, is not always a good thing. I mean, I guess that if, if from a personal preference perspective, that makes sense. If you expected to go to A and it went to B, it's fine. I mean, it happens. But I think the structure build wise was created intentionally to give this kind of feeling. Well, we also it's, get something else at this stage, and that's also a, um, a revisit. I'd say to an earlier time because at least in like the jazz noir intro, you know, it's kind of a vague impression. It's certainly not jazz noir. That's only because of the brush stroke and the snare. But other than that, you know, I was accepting it as a fairly original, original work, an original, um, an so, original framework. Yeah, for sure. But then when we started going toward the uplifting side of the, so we guess we get these little doses of things here and there that harken back to an earlier time. And I think this is where a, a huge portion of this album kind of lies, somewhere in in the late '60s, early '70s. That brand of pop, uh, mainly Motown. Yeah, I mean it's more prevalent in other tracks, but you definitely get a hint of it here. We get it in a few things here, like for instance, in in the choruses. You know, if you gave me your heart. 
oh, oh, I'm ready for it. Oh, oh, I'm ready for it. And that whole, that like jerky style of singing there, using, uh, working against the drums at that moment, that felt like kind of a, um, just kind of a little motif that I, I, I find a lot. Those rhythms I find back in the 70s. It, it was, it's indicative of Motown to me, but even not so much as what we get later on in this album. Still, it's a dose. It's also, the, there's another part towards the end. It's sort of like a, a shortened verse or maybe even a full-fledged bridge um, where they're singing, it's never going to be the same. If it was easy, would you feel this way? Mm. Now there's nothing left for us to do except for you to be good to me and me, me? to be yeah. good to you. I heard the same thing it there. Was, it was... That, even that line, just except it's for so me. It's so beautiful. It's the way, it's, it's all in the rhythm again. Uh, it was, um... It's all in the rhythm again. It's, except for you to be good to me and me to be good to you. It's this kind of, um, you know, just like these little short 16th notes just prior to falling on the beat. It's that, that pattern of singing is, is very common in Motown because that's what eventually evolved into funk, which is all about those little slight rhythmic chains ups. It's, um, it's just funny that it's, that they went back so, so early in time. It's not the kind of thing that I ever would have associated with an indie sound, but yet they see a fusion and they were able to find one. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Um, and we get more a sense of where this is building and where it's going to in track two. Everything is new. Um, there's no question mark in the song. I just said it with that inflection. I'm not quite sure why. Um, I mean, from the beginning, it's got this beautiful breathy kind of nature to it that was the paring down of the instruments to just mo primarily a, a, a very punctuated simple a drum a, 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 a creeping not creepy but creeping guitar and that that cello or violin sometimes it was a little bit high-pitched for a cello Sometimes oh, you have no idea how high cellos can go. No, though, no, I I, in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it sounded just a little bit too low pitch for what you'd consider a violin to do. Right. But it was solid strings and yeah, no, that, it was background. strings. It was strings. That simplicity did a great job of creating a very relaxing feel. I was thoroughly enjoying. It was a very tasteful build. I think it's true. The intro, it was slow. It was deliberate. There were um, the harmonies on on the guitar were pretty interesting. Uh, and then, of course, as we gradually build up to the chorus, we do get some other layers. We get the we get the choir that enters that sort of that breathy sigh, as you as you uh, as you indicated that that appears there along with the strings. Uh, at the same time, we get both of those effects, which really kind of fills out this track. And yet, at the same time, it never seems cluttered. It never seems as if they're they're sort of overdoing things. Everything is is just slow, gradual, tasteful. Well, yeah, what I really liked also is that the guitar work was different from the last track and the fact that it kind of had this kind of bluesy sense to it. The guitar work was very reminiscent of a B.B. Yeah. King kind of style, not in complexity per se, but still in that vein, very kind of working the guitar more about, you know, those notes and the individual mm -hmm. notes and where they go instead of the overall melody kind of doing its own thing within the rhythm. And then when we revisit the chorus the second time, we get almost the same uh the same pattern as we did in in the in the intro except we have the same instrumentation that carries over from the chorus so in other words the the choir stays there the strings same stay there um and we also have a choir echoing the verses like every once in a while you know a verse will just be echoed in the background and that's that that uh 
that duet going on between the two of them. There's still the primary vocalist, which I believe was male in the song. Yes. Right. And then uh, you have the the female vocalist coming in in the background, and it sounded like that may have been you know overdubbed with another track uh, of the male vocalist. That, that was, echoing going on was a really interesting effect. That was really really present in the third verse. Uh, and that was also coupled with um, oh, that's a right. pairing the, down to the original three instruments. No, as actually, well. the the difference was that in the third verse we get it's it's not even a, an echo effect; it's an all-out double. They sing simultaneously and in, in their respective in, octaves. Yeah, not quite in harmony too. No, they I, re- I think they remained individualistic. Full if they went fully harmonizing, it, it, you would have lost that multi-vocal feel, and you wouldn't have felt two characters were singing at, at once. I think this this one it felt like they were singing the same words but still separately enough to be different people. But see, that's the thing: harmony would indicate that it was actually you know separate notes. Say they were singing in thirds or singing in sixths. And as I recall, I, I feel like it may have simply been uh, an octave. In which case, you're what you're hearing is just the unique varying registers of their vo- their voices, which is I mean. It's apparent immediately, and I think it actually lends to this album just in a textural sense, in a really powerful way, because obviously, if you're going to have a he-she duo, then, you know, both of them have to kind of step out in their own way. And I found that, at least in this case, they equally represent the two different time periods here in their musical vocal style. He is very much more, he sounds like like an indie pop singer it sounds modern i could hear similarities between him and the decemberists just in inflection style not really voice yeah certainly not (laughs) no no of course not but but in style absolutely the way they were singing in certain songs had that kind of almost folkyish kind of feel right but then there was her and i felt like she was a lot more in the 70s sometimes she had the kind of that almost that diana ross kind of kind of uh motown croonus yeah, thing absolutely. Going on. Yeah, and you could definitely hear that. Yeah. So I think it's just those two styles that make them sound unique, regardless of whether they're singing uh, uh, varying harmonies or you know doubling an octave apart. And also, this last verse did lead into the final chorus, which I found to be my favorite chorus because everything becomes that Diana Rossi crooner style. It's it's all almost background kind of singing uh, without. You know, sub- trying to support anything like uh, in the front, she she does take kind of a step back from the mic, which we've talked about before, and I like that kind of a feeling, where it's a it's a more of a far away piece. It it adds a, uh, an extra level to the emotions getting across. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I love mean, the, I love the way the song just kind of like bleeds out from that. Right. Yeah, and in general, I I almost want to dismiss the um the same observations that I had in the previous track, at least in terms of just, you know, pigeon, pigeonholing this in a, in a particular time period and whatnot. Right. The, the observations in this track, frankly, are minimal. Uh, they really are. I think, in general, this track managed to, um, you know, feel modern, but also feel a little bit nostalgic at the same time. There was even some, uh, I felt, post-rock-esque guitar work going on in the background of, of the second verse, uh, excuse me, the second chorus, and the drums in that section felt a lot more freestyle. So this track, I think, was a really, really strong uh, second track, at least in just, just in terms of, you know, moving the album in a more unique direction. I wanted more of this as we went on. Yeah, and um, the next track doesn't give us more of this. It does go in a unique direction, but the, the first thing we can say, well, the title of the track is Suffering You, Suffering Me. This one... What I really like about it is that we get to feature the female singer now. She she's in the in the spotlight. 
and this beautiful beginning part is just very very of the era we were talking about at the beginning of the album very 68 you know late 60s early 70s motown kind of a sound and this time we don't say it lightly no it was very much motown and what was interesting these are all the things that you notice in the first and second track and think like oh yeah that must be somewhere in their influence and then this track just comes off as a full-fledged period piece like in the vein of the young veins which we had done way back in the day in episode nine um, that they were pretty much sty- stylistically copying a Beatles of that era or something like that. In early Beatles, yeah. yeah. This is rock. very much in homage. It's very much in the exact style it's of early, Mot- yeah. early Motown. Straight and um, Motown. what I like best about it, though, is it does what a lot of Motown does. Even though it was kind of predictable, I enjoyed the fact that it went from this slow kind of build, beautiful, breathy singing, into a more upbeat kind of tap your toe along song it does and it does it well and and you know taking us back in time to that that young veins discussion that was a huge part of you know how we rate something like that because it did come across that they were writing new original pieces of the surf rock feel and you know you can't acknowledge that these probably would have been massive hits back in the day and i would almost say the same for this kind of track too it would be a massive hit back in the day back in the early 70s of that era Today, it's more of just, it's it's about how much the predictability really gets to you or not. Yeah, I, I found I found this to be a great representation of the pop side of it. It was catchy. It did draw me in when it started to go heavy on the build. I didn't really mind the the higher energy of the pop sort of competing with the still sadness in the lyrics and in her vocals I didn't really mind it I just thought that I kind of wanted to see that verse one stuff that introduction stuff propagated a little more fully without so much being added after that first chorus that's where it 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 fell apart a little bit for me I think some of the emotion was lost on it because the 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 actual lyrics are pretty strong I'm especially fond of that third verse and in a year from now under that, the thoughts of you will pass me by. For every staying, neither of us feeling better. Did I find something new? Oh, keep so brand new, so brand new. I like that idea of, of that moving on idea she's presenting here. But there's just a little bit too much energy involved with what's going on in the music for that to come across very strongly. Hmm. That That's my big issue here. In, in this case, with all of the the integration and the building that's going on, that would make it a great pop track and a great hit. I think it loses a little bit of the meaning they were trying to do. Uh, yes and no. I mean, if you get the lyrics well enough, I feel like making lemonade out of lemons and this fact that you're taking a slower and kind of more melancholy um, you know, subject matter and making it more positive and more catchy puts it in a brighter light so almost as a coping mechanism if they were using it as one for when they were writing for sure but even that kind of broaches on the whole period study things because of how vague these these lines can kind of be you know and all the things you said that you never mean how could you be so cruel yet so beautiful to me there's a simplicity to that that is not not negative in any sense but it also it's it's those you know saying things in a very simple concise way that it almost immediately invites some kind of like 
sing-along effect to, sure. to it. And that, that was very common in Motown. I mean, you know, those tracks, I'm sure, got stuck in your head. They were probably played on the radio to death back in the day. Well, sure, but also keep in mind, writing that way has a great way of bringing people in who might not otherwise relate to a more specific story. It which does. Which we talked about before. It does, but it is a little bit of a light way to write. For instance, yeah. it's, not as, it's not as introspective as could be considering the topic. Absolutely, but I don't think this was ever intended to be introspective. By the construction of the song, the style they chose, and the way it's sung, this was what they wanted. I'm pretty sure that they wanted to do a, a, more, a track more on the air of vague, but that could draw people in and relate to, which is clearly works because we all did understand the message almost immediately and we got it we got the lyrics i follow you but i at the same time i was also uh stricken with a bit of musical camp um from this song i can at see times. that especially like for instance the second i want to call it almost like a second bridge it's probably the last major change up in the song before it uh starts revisiting the um the the main chorus and kind of winding down but it's sort of this moment where like the guitar steps in with like you know dun 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 and then it, this is build up back to one, and then the bass, you know, this like five, five, one, five, one, that kind of thing. It's all just very evenly coming back to one in the most, you know, over the top variety show kind of manner. You can see this stage, the uh, the um, Ed Sullivan era stage with like the 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 kooky colors in the background. I feel like this is the visuals that I got, and I feel this takes away from the message just a little bit. Maybe. I don't know. There were plenty of songs of that era that have the same message in the same style. But are... are of the eternal. era. You mean, yeah. yeah. That happened eternal I mean, things. and also I don't feel like that getting that imagery is really a bad thing. I mean, they were going for that in the sound at least a little bit, so you being able to envision that is probably also in line with what they're looking for. There were plenty of... Motown era songs that handled less than positive topics, but in a more positive light, so they could still get it out on the radio. It's true, but it, it makes me question the direction of the album at this point, considering that the previous track sounded so bold and unique and fiercely individualistic, which to me always, always kind of wins over over tracks like this. Not that I'm impugning period pieces, but you know, at least with the Young Veins, that whole album was clearly going for such thing. I could identify that as the long-term goal, track by track. Here. You know, third track, finding some things here and there, and then finding this track wholly in the era. It's just, um, it's a big question mark in my head. And I get that. I mean, we're still at an early point in the record, and I think we have to venture a little further to really get an idea of what they're going for on the whole. All right. Um, so let's move on into uh, mm. Not Mine to Love, which is track four. This is another another gr a good showcase for the female vocalist, for... Uh... Uh, Rebecca. But what I really love is that minimalist start to the to the, to the track. The and fact that it's got very little going on in the beginning, and yet it has everything. Sorry, the on. main rhythmic rhythmic uh, uh, accents here are just on the one, and then the and before the three, and then the three. So it's like one, two, and three. Four. It's very you know slow again, deliberate that kind of thing. Um, the melody was pretty at this point, and I like the way the guitar and violin starts working off of each other. Uh, the 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 plucking the strumming of the of the electric guitar has good integration with the longer notes of the violin to accent her vocals. It's it's a it's a very very nice combination that does get across a lot of the meaning they're trying to I infuse. I remember the moment specifically was um, the line was and it makes you blurry, and right there the guitar just steps in to strum just at the moment that she says blurry, and it, it has that that 
that visceral effect of bringing the word to life. Like the guitar is suddenly the uh, suddenly takes the role of this of this dreamlike figure, and that's what will represent the the figure she's discussing, presumably male. Yeah, uh, the whole story is a, is a woman who can't have another man. She's with somebody now, he's with somebody else, and uh, they want to be together. It, it's very evident, 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 words are so hard, evident in the, the chorus work, and, but you will never be easy with me, and I'm making it hard for you to live the life you choose, and I will always try to have you by my side, but your hand I don't touch, it's not mine to love. Very it's, elegant it, ideas of unattainable love. Of course, it, yeah. That's 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 really the the crux of it. Which you know is 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 not a new thing, but it's also an eternal thing. Unattainable love is one of the main things we we will long for and then turn to music in order to uh, in order to get out. But um, um, but you know that was one of the the singular moments that I felt the uh, the music was really blended in with the. Uh, with the vocals here, just because of that, you know, the visceral effect that you get on on the music bringing the word blurry to life and whatnot. Uh, Unfortunately, though, apart pa- from that, uh, past that point, though, I mean, the song gets very predictable and safe. Yeah, that my was, biggest that was my experience. Too. My my biggest problem was, it, it's it's a really beautiful song, but when you can predict the highs and lows of the melody, and even the vocal work. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I this mean, wasn't in the same overt way as the last track, but I hate to, to sound repetitive here. This also fe- seems like it would fit great in the time period. Um, so it's a little bit been there, done that for me. There is one verse, uh, excuse me, one bridge later that changes it up. Uh, a sort of a, a, a vocal solo with, um, with strings. Actually, excuse me, that's right, following the, the bridge. The vocal solo is kind of just, you know, going along with the melody, and then this, it... And it, it's doubled with the strings at the same time. So the vocals are almost doing the same thing that the strings are doing. And it's sort of this instrumental interlude. Um, so Ed, of course, the vocalist who's, you know, just kind of improving along, you know, a ha's and ah's and just, you know, non, non-syllables. But then later on, you know, I, I kind of started to think about that in terms of the track. And I, I don't know, it was a little safe, in my opinion. This could have been the opportunity for some more uh just showy soloing period and as we and always, it was kind of canned and as we always <laughs> preference uh you know safe doesn't always mean bad sometimes it does in this case i don't think that the track was bad i just wish that it went somewhere else more unique um because i i it, the beginning of the album they prove that they're capable of doing a very unique thing within the framework of indian folk-ish and i just i wanted more of that instead of them diving into motown which you know, it was a lot of stuff that was entertaining, but I hadn't heard before. Yeah. And then lacked the emotional impact that the earlier stuff did on the album at this point, the first couple tracks. Yeah, that was pretty much how I, how I summed up this track. And then, so. I mean, and, and then we just get more of it in track five. The pieces... There's a big difference in the pieces, though, and that is the male vocalist. Mm-hmm. We've, we've already talked before that now it's 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 him taking the lead as opposed to her and he has a much more modern voice when mm-hmm. you put him in the framework of yeah another very heavy motown idea his more distinct singing style, style does change it dramatically it would not have fit in back in the 70s 
Not by a long shot. This is definitely uh, leans more towards an indie fusion of it. Yeah, and also the I mean, just again for some sonic diversity, which I'm always a fan of. Here we have a much stronger bass in this track, so I really did like the tone. And it had you know the bass was kind of it was a little bit a little bit rough around the edges. It sort of had that direct um, direct input feel but at the same time sort of mixed with the 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 harsher side of like a mic'd amp that kind of thing um so it, it was just something probably one of my 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 main features along with the male vocalist early in this track uh as for the melody later i found that you know you could almost gloss over some of the verses i i enjoy him as a, a I enjoy his vocal tone, but the melody wasn't really reaching me out earlier on, until perhaps the chorus, and that is purely because of the other instruments that stepped in in the background. Saxophone. Horns. I mean, this was really what I like to see, because at least then you're not, if you're not only pursuing Motown, but you're pursuing it with force, pursuing it with passion, and you're making perhaps even a better Motown track than would have even been made in the day. I mean, if you're gonna go Motown, go all out, and the best way to do that is with these over-the-top uh, horn accents and, um, and saxophone accents. I think it was more tenor saxophones, so you get that real deep tonality in this. It's It's... Also coupled with some of the better vocals and better lyrics of the song as well. That's right. I really, really enjoy the way he sings the chorus. It's it's surprisingly I'm not focusing on the verses, which is what I had been up until this point. And we had harmonies I, on the final chorus also that was really uh, it's, it's, satisfying. It was another one of those last chorus was really good kind of situations. Which brings to I light like that they the, know how to reinvent these sections. You know, they, they know I, how to build. This, this is true that I don't think there's there's a track on this album where where I hear the verse exactly the same way I heard it the first time. They, they're aware of, of, you know, they're aware of, of stagnancy and they don't let themselves get to that point necessarily. Well, and also, like, I mean, the great thing about that chorus, too, on the most simplistic level, you were clearly and easily allowed, able to snap along to it. The tempo and the momentum of oh, it yeah. made it very much like a Motown track, you know, that standing on stage, snapping along together and singing. Like, it, it, Again, it, picture that set. But it really, really added to the entertainment value of it because you could get right into it. You felt comfortable in it, like, a, like an old shoe. You just slid right in. Plus, it did have an emotional level... That you don't quite see because it turns this song not into a love song in the more classic sense of boy in love with girl, but this it's it's a companionship song. Lately you've been stolen, where's my friend? I miss her. No one told me you'd be disappearing. Now we're all here, you are all here. Looking for the pieces, the pieces, the pieces. And I love the way he repeats that. I love the the inflection he throws in, the pieces. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a good, not good, it's a great way of, of just getting across the idea of trying to help somebody else. This is, that's what he's really doing here. Mm-hmm. He's looking to help someone who used to be a part of his life and is now being reintroduced. And it's sort of solidifying an idea of the theme of this album, sort of a back and forth. Steve suggested before we started reviewing that this was a love duet between two people. And I'm coming to see that I think it kind of is, but it's not on equal levels. It seems that when the vo- the female vocalist is taking the forefront, it's more of she's actually in love with the male protagonist. But 
the male is not in love with the female. He just loves her mm. as a friend. It it seems to be shaping up this way, and I kind of like it. I kind of appreciate what they're doing here. It's a it's a distinct turn on the just Romeo and Juliet romance as you get in so many albums. But what I really like also to take the track back musically for a bit, the the bridge I guess it was right after the second chorus where it had a slew of horn solos. This is the thing that made it step outside just your standard basic Motown at this point. This horn solo was both refreshing, ungimmicky, and it wasn't like just a passing fad like we hear in a lot of pop songs where, oh, here are horns for the sake of horns, up, they're gone. This was a fleshed out solo part with the sax and... and was there a trumpet also? I couldn't tell. I believe there was. Yeah. It was it was mainly tenor sax and trumpet. Yeah. And and it just it was beautiful. I mean, it was really great. It was really fun. And it was a nice little bridge that led into, you know, pretty much the tail end of the song. Yeah. No, that was one of the one of the interesting fun moments of this album, which uh, you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily contrasted by the um well, maybe I am saying that. I almost want to say that maybe that is contrasted by the lyrics themselves. Because the lyrics do present this sort of, uh, not necessarily longing, but then you could you could argue longing. Lately you've been stoling, where's my friend, I miss her. I mean, I think you're pretty much on, on point, John, with the, uh, with the, the theme work here. I think this is, this is starting to be the way the album is shaping out. And I, 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 even though as much as I enjoyed the music, I do cite that as a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a divide. And how the tonality doesn't always match up to the um, uh, to the emotion given. Yeah, I could. I mean, I guess I could see that. It definitely imparts the album for sure. Well, I think that might be a problem as a though. whole. As a whole, I think a lot of this album, uh, the the first verse, the beginning of the song, tends to be the best part for what they're trying to say. Just in general, especially up right. until this point, the first of any A section that they throw with the vocals gets the emotions across a lot better than their subsequent builds. Even though the musical builds they do tend to actually make the music itself deeper and more expansive and in a lot of cases better. It's it's almost like they have an idea in the beginning and they take it in two different, different directions, lyrically and musically, and they don't quite mesh up perfectly towards the end of a song. Yeah, well, that was almost like... Uh just a couple weeks ago when we reviewed uh, Future Island's singles, that was a case where the music was many times somewhat d- divorced from, the, uh, from the, the content, but for very good reason, because a lot of times the, you know, they would pursue, let's say, a very, a very light-hearted, airy, yet nostalgic 80s, um, 80s uh, uh, backdrop to fit something that really is kind of nostalgic when he's, you know... Talk, discussing a lost love or something like that and trying to sort of cheat himself into remembering this state uh, or or making it more real than it actually was such that it's so removed it actually is a dream you could almost argue that something similar is being done here but I think this is more just by virtue of tradition because of the fact that back in the 70s there were a lot of Motown tracks that, that, um, that broached difficult subjects of love and loss and longing and all that stuff and yet they did have this very light-hearted feel but i feel like some of the reasons for that was more just to make it accessible and radio happy in which case the homage is almost a, a almost a false attribution unless they're trying to also 
kind of push this false sense of security almost on the listener by having this kind of structure. It's, it's true, but I have to say it's failing on me thus far. Well, that is... I, I'm, I might lean towards what Storm's saying, only because of the next track, the uh, number one. Well, let's investigate it. Number so, one, uh, acoustic piano. As opposed to an electric piano? And, <laughs> no, just straight up acoustic I, I piano. I know, I know. More than that, though, it's it has the sort of crappy piano in the empty auditorium kind of feel. You know, it's but not, it's, not it's, grand, it's not a concert grand, it's nothing clean, it's nothing... But, it but, sounds like an old spinet. Two things that kind of make it uh, a little bit different than what you'd expect. One, it's not going to be a finale track. Because it's so deep in the That's middle right. of we, the album. We're so used to the trope it's of being this It's being set up as something separate from a finale track. It's, it's becoming thematically a move-along kind of a piece. Two is the way it's sung. It's a wall of text. It's, it's a solid... Almost no pausing in the actual vocal work, which is a lot different. The melody is a continuous stream of consciousness, and that was one of the most unique things on the album that made this one of my favorite tracks. Beyond that, the piano isn't really going nuts here. It starts out with an even more minimalist rhythm than we got earlier on. It's just sort of this this very slow 4-4 feel, and it's just on the one, on the two, kind of rests... And then on the four. And that's generally the cycle here, and the chords follow that cycle. And then later on it does fill out um, to include the, the third beat as well. And but in general it doesn't really play around too much. It just gets the uh, It gets the job done. Yeah, it gets the it gets the job done and it's 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 there in the background to move the song along very steadily while the melody is doing the exact same thing because it seems like this 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 runaway train effect. Of, of, of thought that can't be stopped. But what I really love also is when we're, we're broached with songs often with a wall of text, it's kind of, it's kind of un, not attainable, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's, it's hard to engage because it's just so intimidating to be broached with a wall of text. Like there were songs that we've heard by very brilliant artists, but they just want to get a message at you and they'll throw it at you as, as hard as they can instead of kind of easing it into a melody. And the way the piano part was written for this beautifully melds with this wall of text whereas honestly the first time I heard it I didn't really get a sense of that it was a wall of text I really just accepted it as a beautiful song that flowed nicely it wasn't until Steve pointed it out on subsequent listens that I really got a sense of they really aren't taking a breath they are kind of just going for a moment in the vein of Albuquerque by Weird Al but obviously without the comedy but this thing 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 without taking a break it's because of the pacing in the vocals Working with that uh, very slow uh, piano, it's he doesn't uh, blur words together. Everything does get pronounced fairly uh, accurately, fairly distinctively. Every syllable is there, and it's the varying of the inflection that really creates the uh, the the melody of that vocal work that's so powerful. And all in all, well, it gives re- this kind of tender emotional feel to the overall track. Let's read a bit of this because obviously there's a there's a clear reason why it's 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 going at this and let's just see if we can pick up on it. Just take the apart the the first verse for instance. I looked up and all I could see was mess. Who needs course when you're perfectly adrift? I've got friends who know just how it is. We walked a while and watched the sun arrive. 
Drinking and planning. Hey, you know every time. You want to sing. I'm here. Golden storm. Put that hurricane away. I wasn't flattered when you named it after me. I want to lay down almost constantly. Because I know, and enter the chorus here, just how to look the other way. It was so much easier yesterday. When the door was open and we're just rolling for... Come on, let's close it. And I'll call you number one, number one, number one. It's a pretty straightforward tale. It's a straightforward tale and a storytelling song. And it paired with the piano the way it is, and that kind of almost stripped down nature, really kind of adds an emotional impact to the overall piece. And it's it's it culminates in that final verse. I love both the singing style and uh, the words of the final verse. I look into your eyes, but don't know how to work. Desire is power, and trust is just a word. Remember when we met, I was young and you were hurt. Maybe we should talk about what's at stake. You don't have to feel like shit and say it's okay, or pretend to be asleep when you're dreaming of being awake. Essentially, I what I see I is... I love it. What I see is either... Is either um, a journal entry, a letter that never got sent, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or perhaps it is sent and it's just a very, very fluid emotional letter. The kind of thing that you would write just straight from the heart and not try to tailor make it to anything. I mean, this is the kind of thing, it's, well, it's your true feelings, so you might as well just get it out. It's the, kind of, it's the kind of uh, written catharsis that we all need at some point. It's the kind of written letter where you wouldn't edit or spell check or even type it out. It's handwritten, crossed out, sloppy straightforward and without even getting into the lyrics like yeah. i could pick up on that in the melody and that is a real powerful case for it that it's instantly it separates itself from the album you yeah. know again without even really listening to the words just because of that effect you hear something different and it, it strikes a chord with you there is meaning behind it meaning behind the choice and it's a powerful midway mark for the album too i mean when we get into the next track the queen's nose we're going back to another bygone sound. But this one is a much more aggressive approach to a bygone sound. Last week we had a song by Judas Priest, which I've forgotten which song it was already, sounded almost exactly chord for chord like uh, Jimi Hendrix. Purple Rain, yeah. Uh, not Purple Rain. Purple Haze. Oh, purple, purple Haze. Me. <laughs> purple Rain is Prince. Whoops. <laughs> um, That's a little bit different. But... And it was it was a failure just because they didn't really do anything with it. They didn't try and add to it or homage it. They kind of just ripped it off or seemingly ripped it off. We don't actually know. This track is we've decided because we haven't found the contrary. An all and out homage to uh, Don't Let Me Down by the Beatles. In style, in structure, in melody. I mean, it's, it's just so similar, it's hard to... Without being identical, it's so similar, it's hard to say otherwise. And it's done in a very beautiful way. It's not cheesy, it's not It's not a poor use. I think it was very well made, if that's the intention, to honor the Beatles. And this could be their favorite song, and that's why they created it in this manner. It's the way they revisit the major feel. I think that's yeah. a lot of the way. The way they revisit each and every each and every uh, um, chorus. It's just you feel that 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 pull that back flow to, back to one, and it's that chord progression that leads to it. That's just you know, watch the rooftop concert uh, that the Beatles gave back in um, you know on top of their studio. It's that, that Billy Preston, the who was featured, I think, on their album, he played in that concert, and you can just feel that same exact flow. You can even sing along to it in certain cases, and it's just, it seems like a direct homage. I, I'm with you there. And it, it does still have a little bit of its own flair, 
that I really think sets it apart as something, not just an homage, but a, an attempt at an improvement on a classic idea. Because they take that lullaby guitar of Don't Let Me Down, and they, they expand it with uh, the horns. They expand it with uh, a, a lot more complexity I, I found in, a, in the percussiveness of the drums. It, it remains even, and it remains in the same vein as the Beatles' original work, but it still has a, a unique idea. It's, it's not just a direct love fest, but more like the offspring, the child of Don't Let Me Down. In a way, I almost I don't want to take it too far away from the feel because of the fact that, you know, they're revisiting that 70s feel so much. And this is like the most 70s side of the Beatles, even though, of course, they did it in the late 60s. They were pretty much ahead of their time at that point. And they were looking forward yes. to the 70s in many ways, setting the stage for it. So it's an appropriate uh, revisit. But I, I don't want to say that it's like the next logical evolution. Yeah, I disagree. It's just not far, not different enough. Yeah, I disagree that it would be. I think that they imp they don't improve on a classic formula. I think they own a classic formula. There you are. They make it make it their own, and they add some intricacies to it to make it their own. It yes. had it had the same sway to it. Um, and at times, I don't even think they were a hundred percent owning it. Like there was moments where I thought it was almost a bit of a mindless sway. But the vocals on this track really, really were phenomenal. That's I think the, that's I think where they were owning it and maybe even exceeding it because. But but it it was really at the core felt like just a weepy love song. It didn't really feel like it had the expansiveness that they may have been going for, in the original and what they were copying. It it there is where I feel like there was a stumble and a fall. It it kind of didn't hit the same level. Of what "Don't Let Me Down" hit. Well, you know what? <laughs> yeah, but that's I don't a little like unfair. The direct... Yeah, yeah, I don't want to do the I don't direct wanna, comparison. I don't want to punish but... it for not being "Don't Let Me Down" because we have "Don't Let Me Down." I don't. But want all right, but no, me let's down. just since we're making the comparison, I'll just finish the comparison. That's simply this. I think along with the otherwise very sticking your head memorable chorus of "Don't Let Me Down," there was also Billy Preston. Billy Preston, of course, great keyboardist, was brought on and was considered for a good duration of the. Beatles, the fifth Beatle. He was there, and he was there in every session, I think, mo for most of Let It Be. And at, at least in this track, I remember that what I looked forward to most, even maybe more so than the choruses, was that big keyboard solo that he got. So if anything is going to make Don't Let Me Down the big highlight piece, it's going to be that big culmination, which of course we don't really get here. We don't have a big, a big, uh, solo or anything this that the song is kind of building to and i think that's why it felt a little bit mindless to me still with feeling but somewhat mindless because imagine if you had taken away that keyboard from don't let me down don't let me down would not be as powerful of a song no and i i definitely understand that and then i think it would be a perfectly analogous uh you know comparison but what, what really bothers me about this song not bothers me. I'm getting ahead of myself. What 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 has bothered me about a lot of this record is now something I know, speaking to you from the future, because we've actually listened to the whole record, is what the next track is. So the next track is the title track, Complete Surrender. And from the minute it starts, we get this drum intro, this drum solo intro that has not happened in the whole record. The drums are pushed to the forefront, followed up by a very unique and fun synth line. And we get this track that's very much in the vein of indie pop or just pop. 
but it's unique. We don't have any hint of the 70s really here. We don't have any hint of Motown, hint of the Beatles, nothing. We have what I'd like to think is their sound. If they were to be completely true to their original sound, this is what it would sound like. I, and Everything I, just seemed like it stepped up in quality in this track. So I want to go on a little bit of a rant. And it's just, I'm at a point now where, and I'm terrified to say this, I agree with Steve. Typically on a lot of albums, I could forgive a style being reminiscent of the past and then still having an original sound because those bands are either very deep in that original sound and that's it, like the Young Veins, or they're a band like Eve Six who are still stuck in the 90s, but they're still doing a little bit something different as vocal-wise or instrument-wise or updating it a bit for the time, whereas this... And, and another little thing about the Young Veins is, you know, they were formed, you know, they're a couple members of, of former Panic of the Disco. Yeah. You know, remember that, right? Who also dabbled they, in and those they, time They periods. dabbled in the, in the genre, and then this, as a side project, they decided to form the Young Veins and then said, all right, we really want to try this and make an original album that has that... that of the era, and you can tell. Just look at the album cover of their album, Take a Vacation. And it's the only album they ever did. It was just their side project that they did to do this experiment, and then that's it. There is just no question that that was the goal. Uh, so back to your rant. So well, my rant is that, uh, in a very Steve way, because he's talked about this with other records, I wanted more of this. As much as I liked what I heard so far and enjoyed it, after hearing this, then I spent a lot of time just going... I want this. Where Where is this? I want more of this. Because this is what I feel like. This is clearly influenced by everything else that had been on the record previous, but they're still making it their own. And I truly enjoyed it. It was fun. It was engaging. It was uh, approachable. And, you know, the lyrics were great. The harmonies were great. The music was great. Like, this was what I wanted from the rest of the record. And it also feels so out of place comparatively because it's so unique to itself. It it had it really had so much motion to it. I mean, it's 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 about the way the um the way things were layered, but just about just the, the the raw undercurrent of this track, which is is that rhythm, which is so much more complex than any previous rhythm we had. It's sort of that one, two, a three, and four, and that kind of feel. It keeps the song moving along so much, and it even revisits by sort of beefing it up with with what I heard as as bongos after like the the second verse or so. So you know we are in that kind of I, I don't want to go so much far as to say an island feel necessarily, but you know what, they were at least, they were wholeheartedly indie here. And you know what, this is the kind of indie that I expect from, say, Arctic Monkeys or something like that. And I feel like they tend to go that direction in more of the the fun branch of indie, which I, I just had to be honest, even, this even was, this contrasted my earlier uh, feelings with this album, which was that the first track, the jazz noir introspective feel, was going to be the the primary goal here, and that that was their strong suit. This kind of this kind of swept that into the dust because this is clearly even stronger than that was. Because there was something so vague about that, it never seemed like they ever really put their whole heart into it. Because then they would immediately dip into these sort of happy go lucky sections, but then dip in back into somewhat minimalism, and they're just floating here and there between the seventies and the present, and the seventies and the present. And I'm just not sure where they are. But this is just this track at least seemed decided upon, and I appreciated that. I don't really think it's that unusual in the framework of, of what their album was doing to include a track like this. If I could draw your attention to the Beatles once again, because we keep making these comparisons to classic rock, to Motown, to 
of the era type pieces, this is sort of like the helter-skelter of the album. It's smack dab in the middle of a completely different type of genre, but if you look back, Helter Skelter is a song surrounded by Blackbird, Martha My Dear, I Will, Julia, Birthday, Sexy Sadie, Long Long Long, Honey Pie. These are all completely different genre from Helter Skelter itself. But you can't say the White Album could be complete without any one of these individual pieces. I'm not saying Complete Surrender, the song or the album is going to be equivalent to Helter Skelter or the White Album. Well, first of all, just because you brought it up, though, the White Album, in my opinion, is more of a compilation than it is a cohesive album anyway. So, frankly, you could take a track off that, and I still think it would be the White Album. Yes, but in this case, Complete Surrender kind of integrates the theme that they were building together. This is the culmination where they finally go for it. I think this is the point where she's convinced him to fall in love with her. I don't think our argument is that it's out of place on the record. It's more that we just wanted more of this on the record. We wanted more of this, at least personally, I wanted more of this from the band. I mean, the violin doubling that they do during the chorus is incredible. I mean, it was so standoutish to me. I really enjoyed it, and I I really liked that feature. But this song also talks about a major shift theme-wise in the story. So I I don't understand why it couldn't actually be a major shift music-wise. That, that seems to actually be fitting thematically. Maybe musically in the arc scale, yeah, it's, it's, it's outside the box, but I don't really mind that. Not if you're going to hit a major crux in the actual story being built here. I mean, of course, you're suggesting that Complete Surrender is somewhat of an ironic title, considering that if this is the moment where they've somewhat engaged, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's meant to last. Well, no, it's more of the idea of surrendering to feelings, surrendering to their relationship, surrendering to the idea of them being together, and so on and so forth. That idea. Just one of the mid-verses. Two foolish figurines dancing on a disc, welcomed with open arms, baby, you knew the risk. All I want is happiness cradled in your arms. You knew just how to look to get what you want. It's... That is... Kind of on the nose? That's the ironic title right there that I see. I mean, Complete Surrender, that... to You knew just how to look to get what I want? It's almost manipulative. But it's also completely surrendering to one another. That's where... That's the idea of what what's going on here. I don't know. It's not, I see it a lot more... I'm, I'm saying, stylistically, I, I, I agree with how it was done. I, you can't complain that you didn't enjoy the music of the track, can you? We're not Did saying you dislike we dislike it. No, no, well, that not was the never slightest. the argument. Not then, in the slightest. But I, I'm not sure if I buy the artistic justification that you're explaining. Um, and also, my biggest problem is that I just wanted more of this sound. Not that it was out of place on the album. I never said that. I just wanted this over the Motown stuff. I just I preferred what they were building on here. And, that, and in that case, I just I don't really mind them not giving me this throughout the entire album. The higher, the more modern feel, the complexity of it, sure. But I, I love Motown. I love that kind of a feel. It it does the job well. Of well, of yeah. A, Again, it's not pop feel for lack of a love of Motown either. It's for the lack of wanting something I've heard before. I want something new. I think what it comes down to is the fact of this. This is where their identity is strongest for me. I think, in other areas of this album, they're, it like so far at this point. This is just not an album that would catch my attention. It's an album that would be a little bit of a gloss over. It's nice. It's sweet. 
Um, I would never go so far as to say this is like you know my my department store pop uh, metaphor. It has more than that. It has more than that for sure. But at the same time, I I am struggling to find this 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 artist's place. It seems a little bit too wispy at the moment to um, for for me to just identify them and and be altogether curious about their next album. As far as I'm concerned, their next album could go in either direction or one of five different directions. And that's sometimes... That's that's a problem of... Uh, it, it shows diversity, and that's a good thing. But in the end, I think identity is, is, is probably the strongest thing. And diverse, that's what you need. The problem is diversity can bleed to schizophrenia. And you don't want to be schizophrenic on a yeah. record. You want to have a through line. And sometimes I feel like this album wishwashes between... It wish washes between, and yeah, it's 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 really just tough for me to kind of, yeah, it's, it's not something. It's not something that I think speaks to any lack of talent, but it might speak to just a lack of musical direction on this album. I think actually the theme is fairly solid, and I yeah. do believe in this sort of, um, ironic, uh, ironic contemplation of the complete surrender. And I believe this is sort of an individual journal entry, if not actual actual love letters or, or letters in general to the opposite party, explaining their respective sides. But I don't believe it is as complete as it as it uh, as it gives off. I think that's a very ironic title given some of these tracks. But the, yeah, the theme is is a through line. It's just the me- the melodies, the the music does not always bring me so close to that and that's just it's a little bit of a little bit of a flaw that i see at this juncture yeah i agree um i think that that the song i i do agree with john the song does fit on the album for what it's building theme wise i just think my personal preferences affect me a bit on it however i do think that the next track follows up this unique endeavor very well um the next track is paraguay and panama and this is a wholeheartedly complete through and through acoustic track which I'm a fan of. I mean, it's, I'd be hard-pressed for any of us to say we're not a fan of acoustic tracks. It's in the same vein as the previous track, number one, and kind of a pared-down feeling. But this isn't that wall of text that we got previously. No, yeah, this is just a very much a simple and tender acoustic track. Um, the lyrics are very approachable. They're a little more stripped down than the wall of text song was. But, uh, but all in all, it has a very kind of beautiful sentiment to it you know we've complained a lot often that a lot of acoustic tracks that we've heard on other albums that are heavily produced tend to ruin themselves halfway through and it was kind of very um kind of it made me very happy that you know halfway through the song they didn't bring in all the instruments and rock out it 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 sat it sat and actually you know it it, it 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 existed as an acoustic track. It didn't find a way to break out. It was content to exist in this very specific emotional space and not just disappear. Yeah, it's, um... You know, it almost has the acoustic feel of, like, sitting around a campfire or something like that. It feels like the kind of thing that would, uh... that would lull you to sleep, almost. Um... Even, even given the lyrics, it's not so on the nose that you have to follow every lyric, you know, as if it was a story. It's again bordering on the vague ideas of a of a of a sort of vague character. Ever love and lost it all? Don't you want to say? And if you had, if you had the chance, you'd ruin it all. 
And like you know it's meant, would you roll a, roll a dice? I mean, it, it's more of the kind of thing that I think reaches out to everyone. So it's not like, here, listen to my tale. It's like, this applies to you. This is why I think it would make a good campfire song, because it's just, let's chill out and, and kind of bond over sort of a simple thing that probably everyone has experienced. Well, yeah, that's a thing that's totally backed up by the chorus, too, which what I like about this track is it also has a progressive chorus. The harmonies and the style of the chorus are the same in the middle and at the end, but right. the words that are said are different. And mm-hmm. the first set was um, Just Tip Your Hat, but it's the way he sings hat, this this arc in his vocals that he does, that is really impactful and kind of sells that chorus, makes it memorable. And I think it was actually just Flick Your Head. No, I think uh, just Flick lo- Your Head was the second chorus. Oh, excuse me. The first chorus is just Tip Your Hat. Okay, I got you, I got you. And then it progresses, that was, and there's a different that was, chorus. That was the one where I noticed, just Flick Your Head, and I heard the same inflection there. It's just I honed on that Which one instead of the former, but yeah, well, I got it's, you. This is not the first time they've uh, evolved their chorus as yeah. they went along. And it does show the kind of an evolution of the idea that they're presenting here. It It adds color to the simplicity that they're going along with here. Um, which I don't think it's fully simple as well. While they just have, they just really have a guitar throughout the whole thing. It has a complexity in just the way it's being used, that I think is something we we really got to harp on as well. It's not a full strum guitar. It's not a full plucked guitar. It's that soft caress kind of a feel to the guitar it's, because it's, it's clean. so backdrop. It's very clean. But since it's so soft, it's. It adds a sensuality to the song itself. Just if you only heard the guitar, if you only heard that part, you would just think sex, sensual. Well, I mean, I mean that's speaking, emotional. That's speaking to the tender. I'll go just sensual with that. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's. I don't think sexual, sexual at all. I don't. Yeah, sensual. maybe not that heavy. That Definitely was speaking that to what I said at the beginning. That it had this very tender feel, almost being in the loving arms of you know someone's embrace that you are really attracted to. It's but you got don't even this need kind to. of. But it's got this warm wrap of sensuality on it, and it conveys that in the music as well as the lyrics. I don't think it was... But I, I, I could see that without the actual vocal work, and I really did enjoy the vocals of this track. Once again, we have the male lead. Um, I especially like the, his inflection in the, in the bridge. Painted girl upon the wall, covered carefully in Paraguay. In Panama, you were the hourglass beauty queen. And if I'm not mistaken, the bridge is another area where uh, the song does something else interesting, which is it, it, it seems at times to play around with the meter, but it doesn't actually do that. It really is just in a very steady 4-4 structure, but it seems like it takes the bridge, and that's the chance where it sort of gets to expand the phrase over into the second measure, where it sounds like it's almost dragging out like the fourth into a fifth or sixth beat. But it's not. It's even. It, it, it comes back to four, but that's, you know, that's a nice little playing with meter which i'm always interested in to see because expansive melodies are always a little bit more inviting more curious yeah that was also uh present in the choruses as well um and even done a little bit with the verse work it's just Mm -hmm. it's stutter steps yep and you think that they're actually losing a beat here or gaining a beat there but with that bleed over it's it's a great effect of sort of restarting a thought or starting a new thought in what's being said mm-hmm. um, while keeping it connected to what previously was said. It's, it's and another thing kind of an effect. Yeah. Yeah. And also the song, the highlight is that this is a song where the, the male vocalist is featured by himself. It's truly just his song. 
Um, she might have been playing instruments on it. Maybe she's playing the guitar, but it's his his solo vocal um, show, you know, featuring him. Whereas the next track, um, which is a long title, so excuse me while I actually reference my notes to actually read it. Track 10. Actually. <laughs> did I say actually enough? Yep. De- de- dependable people and things that I'm sure of. In the running for longest title we've ever had, but I don't think the longest. Um, oh, I'm sure we've had Longer. Long. But um, this is another, at least starts off, another acoustic track. This one's a little more swooning, but it's not as stripped down as the previous. But this one features the female vocalist. No male vocalist to be found on this one. Sort of like they both get, each get a solo before the album ends. Which, I mean, is not so far of a concept to do. It makes sense, especially since they're both featured throughout the record together, to give each of them a solo vocal song. Plus it gives the... What is their their personal uh, view after the culmination of complete surrender? And what what's interesting about this song also is that it's not just acoustic guitar. There's some other beat work and there's swelling strings. There's what sounds like either violins or cellos that kind of swell. Sounds like in. it might have been a trio. I feel like I might have heard a, a cello and either a violin and a viola or two violins. I feel like there might have been three there, but it could just been two. But three stringed instruments that have this kind of string swell that goes with the song that adds an extra level of impact and emotionality to her singing. It adds an extra level, especially when you first hear it, because it takes a while to, to sort of enter. It's a slow her. build. Right, yeah. it's a slow build, and but then it's also a plateau. Because there comes a point where the, this, you realize that the strings are just sort of there. They're, they're eternal. They sort of glide along with all of her lyrics. And um, it's just you kind of just start accepting it as this constant. The only other thing that, uh, that you did just mention was also the change up in rhythms. You notice that the, the drums, at times they're moving very steadily like in eighth notes. But then they'll cut out and they'll be silent for various interludes and even various phrases in the verse. The, the drums will just stop. So that's sort of an interesting effect, while the, while the strings are still going. Yeah. So there is kind of this breathing effect that the, that the track has, which I found rather pleasant. That's not to say the track, though, isn't fairly predictable musically. You yeah. can kind of figure out where it's going. I like where it's going, but there's no curveballs here. As far as the instruments go, on um, what's go- what actually it's happens. It's a progressive slow march. I think that as a, as a sucker for strings, personally, I really wanted them to do more. Yeah. They were, as I said, just there. It was a progressive a slow march. The swing swell, but then hit a plateau oh, with the rest of the song. It kind of just levels off and and then just kind of stays in that range, which, again, I agree well, with John. It ebbs and flows. It yeah. reaches this high point and goes back down. It reaches the high point and goes back down. That's not the primary focus of this song because this also, this is I, this I think is one of my favorite story aspects of the entire album as a whole because this song is actually the the love that they had actually does fall apart. They do break up. As I said, but... it's been an ironic title from day one. I mean, I, from track one. I don't think this ever was really meant to last. And it's not. It's one of those ones where they kind of stayed friends. Or they yeah. kind of, they didn't start hating each other. There's they, an understanding. It goes back to that line earlier on when you said uh, from a previous track, you know, I well, where's that, where's that one I called a friend? The guy asks that, you know, because that's really what it wants in the end. So, complete surrender, I think, is, I think is when it's, I, I had originally two ideas of taking that particular track. That complete surrender was at least, either some kind of one night stand which would fit in with the line with the bongos and everything, making it feel a little bit more sexual. 
Um, but I wouldn't go 100% with that. I feel like it could just be the catharsis of the... Surrendering to the natural progression of the relationship where it's going. No, I mean, well, I was actually just thinking, she's put it out there. In other words, it's been said. Yeah. Like, the words have been said. Once the words have been said... I think both of them might actually, might, might work in either context. It's, it's not quite... There, I think the vagueness in... is intentional. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. I think both actually would work perfectly. And here is that point where she realizes and she's moved on to the next phrase. It's explicit in the course. Even the title, Dependable People and Things That I'm Sure Of, is the kind of title that I it's feel like re- would be the title for a journal entry. Yeah, and it's redundant. I mean, she's saying dependent people and other things I'm sure of, like sure things, dependable things, and dependable people. Things like, that you can latch onto, unlike previous well, because incidents, when things, which didn't work. When things in life, for example, say you're with someone and they break up with you, you're going to immediately latch onto whatever is dependable aside from that, like your job, your friends, your video games, your music, whatever you know will be there for you. Anything that is, yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly what this you'll is. You'll treat it stronger as a result. Sure. And that's why... I think it sits so firmly, even though it's it, it kind of gets a little boring. Not boring. It gets a little um, predictable. It re- well, through. that's the thing. I think it reads. Well, let me correct that. It sounds, and this is really in the music. It sounds like a journal entry, and yeah. maybe that's a bit of its problem because journal entries very are often a little bit too introspective. They sometimes they explore the inner regions of the of the subconscious that haven't been thoroughly flushed out yet. In other words, it's not organized thought, and that doesn't always necessarily make it passionate and interesting thought. It's the fleeting moments that sometimes can evolve. But well, I think I think that's actually very present in the lyrics, the actual lines chosen here. It's very much that reflective idea. Which are better in this track, to be fair, than I think many previous tracks. The lyrics are more interesting. It's a shame, actually, that the music doesn't... It's got, it's got some pretty good lines for that. that. He's searching for color in a sepia scene. That was one of the lines that, that got me right that away. Was, that's really a... Colorful? A very hipster <laughs> way. But a, I'm not saying that as a negative in this case. Uh... It, it kind of brings to mind maybe a little bit of Instagram and those kind of tropes, but really, when it, the way it's sung, it's sort of that faded photograph look, that faded photograph feel. It, it, it comes across as memories, just throwing it out there. That's the kind of thing, it's trying, trying to see more than there is, is the way I read that line. Trying to see color in a sepia scene. It's yeah. like, if it is sepia, then there will only be as much color than is there. And it's... And and another line, all of this envy and all of this fear will just be a memory of this shitty year. Like, obviously, there's moving on. There's progression going on here. Yeah. It's a very sweet story that she's telling. There's no hard feelings. I just wish it worked out. And it actually, the message really bleeds well into the, ne- the next and final track of the record. Well, quote-unquote final track. We'll get into that. But it's, it, it, it really does solidify a theme for the album, these last three tracks. Yeah. And, and another thing, just to close up this track here, is uh, at the end of the day, I think this is what she needs to tell herself. I mean, I can run further than I could before. I can laugh louder. I can dance till I'm sore. It's all about that moving on and sort of getting over this. It's, it's much... This is in many ways the antithesis album, I think, to... Uh, to future islands, to future islands yeah. because this is about rather moving on quickly and coming to conclusions that that album took an album 
to find. Right. And, I mean, the track 11, the final track, wa- uh, Wanderer Wandering, gives this idea of what's next. Moving on, that, that next movement and where you go, where your mind will go when, now that you're free to think about other things. And there's an interesting play on words here, of course, because there's moments in the lyrics where you get, because you're a wanderer, wandering. Which is not the title. The title is indeed a wanderer wandering, doing what wanderers do. But there's that clever little play on the the the, 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 the well, the, just the effect of that word and how wander really sounds like wonder. And in many ways, they're interchangeable because while one wanders, they wonder. While one wonders, often they choose to wander. It's they actually are a lot closer than they, you know, even it's despite word the, despite the distinct on top of the fact that this song also takes. A unique intro with the expansive synth that it starts with, this slow synth tone that builds and breathes and grows, that this swell really adds to this this open feeling. This was also the most like uh, Future Islands than, I think, any other track here, because, of course, this is what Future Islands, as, as I mean, this is what singles, that, that album, they had chosen that as the framework for the entire thing. I mean, yeah. that was, they used this nostalgic 80s feel to to attest to something that was bygone because you got the feeling in that album that this was something that was constantly removed. Con- I mean, that many, you know, it perhaps even years had passed and this was just this eternal stage of nostalgia that he was stuck in of uh, probably the destructive kind. And yet here it implies that that conclusion has been reached and it does. It only chooses this song to achieve the same end. And I believe that's 100% the same thing they were going for. Well, I think the presentation also adds a lot of uh, solidity to that. It's airy. The music builds in that same slow idea that we're, we're coming to expect, and it stays simple, but that simplicity does a lot to add complexity to what uh, the music is doing. It remains and actually grows more expansive as a song progressive, and it gives the idea of a faraway goodbye from one another through this idea of large openness, the airiness, and the lyrics themselves, the way they're sung and what's being said. It is very just, open. Just goodbye, so long, farewell. It has that kind of idea, but it's... it's you get this in the from chords. From afar, I love you. From afar, I hope you're doing well. That's what they're, they're saying here. Right, so to sort of revisit what I was explaining, it's yeah. more of the... It's more of the, the tasteful... It's it is the noble reaction, whereas whereas singles represented the, the self destructive reaction. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent way to. This put This is it. a noble yeah, way to really close good. close the book on the matter, and um, you know the the openness even in that nostalgia is is totally revisited the uh, by the chords by, by, excuse me by the chords. It, for instance, the fact that it's sort of firmly in A major, it's grounded in a very otherwise happy tone. It's a nostalgia, but it's happy. And then it revisits this one moment where it seems to kind of long for the past. And I believe that's the moment when he's at, when they're actually calling out, because you're a wanderer wondering. It seems to almost dip back into a, uh, you know, kind of like the memory will always be with me kind of sense. And the chords fittingly go to... Uh, go to the 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 sixth the minor six chord f sharp minor and then sort of back to a major and it feels like it almost feels in this section that the track has has certifiably gone toward the minor realm it sounds like almost like a full modulation rather than just stepping the chords away and then 
it it settles back on A major and everything kind of realigns to place it back in the in the present at home. But this is still Charles Watson being the forefront. This is still the male uh, part of this album singing and saying and being reflective. We do have the hidden track, so the which hi- is the female rebuttal, which I think is topically perfect. There's a bit of a fade out though, also because remember on the um, on the harmonies later in in Wanderer Wandering, we have some moments where the, where the female actually harmonizes on the on the upper third when they're both really really high. It sounds as if the uh, the the male vocalist has reached like the alto alto range and then she's gone way the hell up there like soprano. So it's this very very high, very longing. Not well, longing is the wrong word, but it's, fading. Fading might be a good well, word for this case. Just the maybe way like it keeps a faded, a out. faded moment yeah. of theirs, which is fitting to sort of blend into the hidden track. Well, what's also interesting about the tail end of this is that, so the male perspective is shown forward first. I mean, male female doesn't really matter. One perspective is shown prominently, and then there's kind of another perspective that's pushed to the side. And in a lot of relationships and a lot of breakups, male female doesn't matter. The one one story may be elevated above another based on access, based on opinions, based on friendship circles. And so it's interesting that the hidden track, which we had to hunt for the title, but we found out is called Fucking Feelings, appropriately is a very disgruntled... Very emotional. ...take on this breakup, whereas one person seems like it's okay, they're okay with it. Yeah. So you assume the both sides of the couple, if one person's okay with it, they must both be okay with it. Yeah. But well, this is this kind of backseat side of... You gotta remember something. In this album, the male was definitely less an emotional character and tended to actually be a little bit more towards the logical side. There wasn't as much, it wasn't so much ranging the, on, on emotions. It, it wasn't, wasn't so much, much the logical side as he was less attached. He was more... L- loved this person where she was clearly singing from a place of being in love yeah that kind of attachment will blur it a bit more and that's why she's so emotional in this final part of the track it makes sense it is i don't it almost sounds like it should be kind of uh rude to do it this way yeah uh sort of uh sexist to do it this way but to be honest the way rebecca taylor sings in this album She's just putting a lot more into what she's saying. It makes sense a lot considering of she goes back to the seventies. The whole crooness. I mean, yeah. obviously they were. It's it's spoken on a pedestal. If you're singing in a, on a variety show, that's the kind of thing that is meant to you know reach the world. It is this grand love. It is a it is a platinum album level love. But you it's know? also it's also the fact that she's the in in just the story itself that was built here. She's the one that says, "I love you first. She's the one that's committed to this relationship that's trying to make it work. It would make sense that she would be the one that got pissed off at the end. And I like that that hidden track is her getting pissed. And I think this is a great place to start the wrap-up, so I guess I'll start. I feel like this record... The emotional connection to this record could have been so much stronger for me. Lyrically, Lyrically, there are highs and lows like a lot of records in the mid-range have. And musically, it had highs and lows, which a lot of albums in the mid-range have. Now, I'm not saying this is a three. There are things that bring it up. But I wasn't as blown away by the emotion 
in every song. There were some songs that I just kind of bopped my head to and enjoyed, which there's no fault of that, and I'm not going to punish an album for not getting an emotional connection on every track. However, for having such a strong arc, in theory, emotionally, I just didn't get it the whole way through. This idea that it's 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 kind of a, a melding of this idea of the anti-islands, the anti-future islands, and the fact that it's it's less denial and more acceptance and coming to grips. Not every song really conveyed that, I felt. I felt that a lot of the songs did. And they were still a basic through line lyrically, but to me it wasn't very obvious. Um, it became more t- apparent towards the end, and we have a lot of aha moments when we review things together, but musically I was left wanting. I feel very Steve-ish about this. And I enjoy bringing it up that way. I felt that that musically, it was very safe. Um, that said, it wasn't bad. It wasn't department store music by any means. There was there's a clear and present talent here. The vocalists both are great vocalists, and this is another case where we have the thing we talked about with vocalists in the same band. The male singer focuses more on inflection. He's got a great singing voice, but his his change in inflection is really what sells it as a beautiful singing voice. Whereas the female vocalist was much more classically trained, finger quotes, her, her, she was very melodic and very beautiful and had less about inflection, more about those notes and where she could hit and what she could grab. Technical. That more is, technical. That is very true. And I really like that. That dynamic in a single band is kind of really great. Um, you know, but... I don't know. I'm kind of at a conflict with this album I, I like it i don't know that it's specifically to my tastes on the whole but you know i did enjoy it i think that they're capable and they're one shining star for me about really putting out um a song that or, or a song that felt in line with what i thought that their sound could really be if they were very original just um I'm losing my train of thought. I'm trying to say that I really think that that song that I uh, the the title track of the record is what I really wanted most from them. I don't know that it's 100 percent true because they were great in other places, but it's just that one was so unique, and a lot of the rest of it was so safe and specific to Motown or to the six, end of 60s, early 70s. I felt myself wanting more, um, and I think that's why I'm ending up at an even four with this record. I felt like there wasn't enough uniqueness or overwhelming emotional connection to pull me beyond just enjoying it um they're not by any means average but i think that i wanted more and there wasn't enough for me there to really bring me down the rabbit hole with this band i I liked it and i think that they are a unique talent and i'm they are very new so i'm excited to hear well new within the last decade anyway so i'm excited to hear more of what they do but I just, I don't, I think conceptually the album works really great. I just don't think musically it was enough. Okay, you're honing in on identity a lot. And, and yes. I do believe that's going to be a big factor here. Also, another thing that I've found is that we're, we're, we're revisiting scenarios or at least moments on this album that harken back to very recent conversations uh, I'm going to reference two of them and and one we've already mentioned and that of course is uh, just two episodes ago episode 104, Future Islands, singles 
check it out. It's going to be a little bit of a premise for my explanation here. Um, and then the other is just the episode before that, 103, Coldplay, Ghost Stories, in which our discussion followed upon identity of vocalists and how inflection versus uh, classical talent can kind of, you know, make the difference here. And I do believe that is the case. I never even really thought about that uh, before in this album, but I think that is one of the main things that is actually holding me back uh, from this, from, from boosting my rating a little further. We have a theme. We have a very strong theme, actually. It's a light theme. It still is one of those things, you know, it's on love, but, you know, if you look at uh, love and loss and longing and all that stuff, the, the three L's, but at the same time, that's, you know, it's tougher to make albums that are original in that field because it probably adds up to about 80% of what we of what we write about if you were to just tally up all the albums out there or omit the instrumentals this is probably what's going to remain um so that makes me go back to a couple of things here one of course is that inflection the main way that I'm going to feel what the artist is going for the main way that I'm going to feel their pain or feel their passion is through inflection. I felt that that was just a little bit lacking in the female vocalists. Now, I heard some similarities, actually, in, in just tonal quality between uh, between this vocalist, uh, do you remember the name? Uh, Rebecca? Female? Rebecca? Rebecca Taylor. Rebecca Taylor. Between her and uh, and Josie Adams that we got back in uh, episode 92, Arc Iris, I felt like there was somewhat of a tonal similarity there but yet the main thing that was sort of boosting that album for me was the overt inflection and how everything seemed so so just tailor-made on from from note to note phrase to phrase there was the passion there for every single thing that she was feeling there are moments here where i just had to say this female vocalist was singing and i was kind of just lost in the otherwise wispy beauty of the melody. She's an excellent singer, this Rebecca Taylor. Um, but I found that that because of that lack of inflection or really hoisting certain phrases on a pedestal and then uh, in, in the backdrop hoisting the music to, I said, actually, actually I, I should say bolster those lyrics. That's the thing that was missing. missing. The, the, the music was fitting too many cliches to me. I actually do think that they were appropriate on the artistic sense. I think we've just established that in our little pre-wrap-up here in, in discussing the, um, the direction of this album and, and, how the, and how the theme kind of, kind of is aided by the fact that you would choose tracks from the, uh, from the variety show era Motown, um, from the Motown era, and how that kind of does the same thing, and this is what I'm about to get into, that that uh, single was, was trying to do just two weeks ago. Future Island's singles was in many ways trying to choose the music to fit this feeling that was going on. In that case, it was 80s nostalgia. Well, in here, in this case, I do believe it's 70s Motown. It's a kind of uh, overreaction. It's, it's over-emoting or over... I think just overreacting in the situation. She sees him as more than he is, or at least sees them as more in, more than they are, and that could go work. That could go two ways also, but uh, the fact of the matter is, the fact that they it dips back and forth between male perspective, female perspective. This may have been an album that that explored a little bit 
too much of the gray areas, and it's not very often that I that I say that because I think the gray areas are the most important uh, part of, I suppose, modern society because that's probably what we should be thinking about more. But in this case, they just weren't highlighted enough. Sometimes it was presented as very black and white, other times it was presented as gray, and in the end, the music left me saying it could be any. And that's kind of a... As, as much of an honest, accurate album as that is, it's just not an impactful album. I hate to say it, but I think that's what... I, I think this could have used a little bit more um, delicate procedural work moment to moment. So I'm going to have to put this one little note behind. I think, I, I think this is a 3.9 for me. It just it's not leaving me with that with that that desire to to revisit it and to understand the story the same way that I got from singles just two week ago two weeks ago that that vocalist that character was was real to me on a a purely enjoyment level this this album really is a a mid to high fours for me and the reason for that is this is the sort of music that as I've said a couple of times I grew up on southern rock classic rock and Motown so this is this is what my mother taught me growing up this is the sort of emotional and, and pick up kind of a range of music I really really enjoy but it's also it, it plays a little bit too heavily on on projecting those hard strings on trying to make that music mean what it used to mean because the lyrics as we said in a lot of cases the lyrics the emotions of what they're going for divorced by the end of a song that was a big thing as as the, the the intros presented the idea of i'm in love with you the song eventually became the music being a little bit too upbeat and being more joyous about it, while the lyrics were kind of downtrodden at times I mean they fell apart they went back and forth but it loses its cohesion and that's a, that's a big problem if your idea loses its cohesion over the over the, the the five minutes of a song the four or five minutes of a song you're you're going somewhere but you're not going in exactly the right direction now the problem with that loss of cohesion is that the two elements themselves really did work and that's where I'm, I'm drawing some conflict I did like the Motown. I did like the familiarity presented. But because it didn't mesh what they were trying to do in a lot of the other themes, I'm, I'm flipping back and forth. That's coupled with number one. It's coupled with Paraguay and Panama. Uh, even to some extent, uh, uh, dependable things. It, it doesn't... It doesn't quite mesh as a solid piece. Now, my argument for stuff like Complete Surrender was the, the Helter Skelter idea. I think you can branch out and try different genres if you're going for one thing and do something completely different. I like that. And I'm, I'm less inclined to say Complete Surrender is their identity and it should be their identity or anything like that. I thought it was a nice taste of a different type of point of the story they were going for but in that case i still got to agree with with matt and steve it didn't quite feel out of left field but it did feel like they could have done so much more with that idea um but but when it comes down to it this ended up being surprisingly a nostalgia album for me this was one where i just look back and go it was pretty good 
And I know it was just only pretty good. And it's it's not even as high as what you guys said. While the theme was a, a nice idea of both sides of a love story, it still boiled down to a pretty simple idea for the love story itself. Um, and that would be the crux that would divide it between uh, a three and a half and a four in this case. So I'm going to put it right in between and call it a three seven five. It's a good. It ended up being a bunch of really good ideas that just didn't quite all come together. I think the whole album was a solid idea, but yeah, it it was execution that you know, you know, your outline is great. You're about to write the novel, but just somewhere in in the course of the novel, it has it has plot holes. That's exactly that's exactly that's exactly, it. No, that's that's exactly it. it for me. You're you're right. Honestly, actually, now that I think about it, giving it a four seems unfair. To things that I've given a four because oh I wanted to I really wanted to well, give it a four. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like Steve made. Some we all gave hide the kitchen eyes by uh, by the paper chase of four. It was back in episode twenty nine. That was a very solid theme, which yeah. we found we found uh, abrasive to the point that it, it was may disturbing. it may have exceeded the art, uh, or rather the art had maybe exceeded the goal. But I, I, I want to take a moment to go back and actually go more in the direction Steve is at. I just feel like giving it a four, especially in that case where. That, that arc was so strong that even though I really didn't like the album at all, I felt inclined to still boost it because of how powerful it was. And this one just doesn't have that kind of comparative. Where I did enjoy it, it wasn't as strong. So I feel like it should be at a 3.9. And I want to take it down ha- you know, a point, point step. Because it's not a 4. There's still too many holes, potholes, as you guys said, to make it that, that next level. Yeah. To be fair, I think they were going for a... They were... I think their idea was was something that was perhaps even more challenging to accomplish than uh, than singles, because you know here's the thing: when it came to singles, um, I believe the idea of of frazzled post love or post rejection when you're dealing with issues of of you know self hatred, self loathing, and 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 over uh, accentuating your past. I feel like that was very easy to do once they honed in on that 80s, on that 80s, um, nostalgia backdrop. And once they chose that as a backdrop, the album practically wrote itself. It was an easy, uh, high fours to achieve, I think, once they chose that. This was much more difficult because of the task that they had ahead of them. I mean, because they're dealing with two characters, they need to tackle that some way. And they had a good idea going with bringing in the Motown thing, but just something didn't jive along the way. And that's much the way it is when writing a novel. Novels are just hard to write. You can come up with a great idea, but then execution. Ugh. Yeah. That's the big task. So, like, you know, it's admirable, and so that's why I think it's it's at three nine because I think a high three is very is very uh, admirable for for their the attempt, yeah. and I think they could fine tune this narrative. They might be able to do more with it in the future. Yeah, and I I think um, one thing would be, for instance, uh, exiting the pop structure, or perhaps even exiting the indie structure, and I think that's where I'd like to go with the um, the John had an idea before that we should maybe go with this idea at least. <laughs> I present. You had an idea. We should go yeah. with this idea. This, this is that was your idea. As today's discussion, I present to the audience. Indie's the new pop, and I say it like this: Indie is the new super genre. This is it the- is the counterculture idea to pop, 
in that if if something is not really going to be labeled nowadays in the grand scheme of things, if something is not labeled true pop, it's going to be labeled more often than not independent. Because indie has become the prefix or the suffix or the whatever fix to so many other genres. It's post-punk indie. It's post-rock indie. It's rock indie. It's, it's the, indie ad- rock. It's it's the adjective to whatever it the, describes- noun may- the noun may be. And in so many cases, it's being used uh, much the same way as pop is being used as that adjective. Pop rock, pop punk, pop whatever gives you the punk idea with that pop flavor. But in this case, a, a lot of the times when we say pop, we mean it looks towards the, uh, the, the future of music in a lot of cases. It tries the new experimental styles. It tries to use new types of instruments and new... Uh, versions of vocalizers and synthesizers and this that and the other thing it tries to be unique for the future while indie tends to be well how can we take the past and bring it to today it's sort of the opposite idea how can you take folk or rock or a reggae composition and infuse it with today's ideas it's it becomes an antithesis of what pop is. Well, this is an interesting thesis, and I guess I'd like to begin by saying that I agree in part, but also disagree in part. For instance, the fact that pop is always looking to the future. I do believe that pop tries to be shocking. I think very often, especially in the case of what we get with Lady Gaga, who I don't think anyone would even dream of putting in any other category than pop, because no one quite knows how to place her. And, of course, because they know that the shock value is bound to sell. But it is built upon a past. But the it is mu- built upon, for instance, there's a lot of Madonna emulation I was say, there. The music is not really shock value, though. It's her persona that's the shock value. Which is why that's the thing. There's a, that's where I start to disagree a little bit, is because the music itself really does not have the looking to the future factor, but the persona. It is about the the presentation and trying to just do something different in terms of maybe more performance art than anything else. I think that's, yeah, but that's very, been done before too. But that's very closely attached to pop, maybe perhaps more so than other genres. Well, I wouldn't say that it is divorced from the past. Just like I wouldn't say that indie doesn't try to integrate the next big idea into its work. I, I would say, though, that pop being a shock value is continuously trying to create something new. Create the next big thing. They want... While familiar, but I, can't, but I but, can't say that's musically though. I'm well. I meant from the idea of the genre, necess- not necessarily from the musical aspect, but just the idea of the genre. Could create the next big thing, create the next big hit, the next big star. Which well, I, I think, think is in that the case, opposite. Maybe it's of more what... the case that just pop represents the present thing, and because it re- represents the present thing, and very often we have the the annals of of history in our brains we have a general sense of the direction that music has been going for years then we see the present thing as the next thing sometimes but again very often it doesn't take off which is why i do agree in the sense that because it's in experimental you know you could kind of go either way with it but I'd, i i can't say the next big thing because that implies that it that you know it will succeed and there are many pop uh experiments that just you know, kerplunk, 
the 15 minutes of fame concept, of course. Well, that's why it's always just the next big thing. It's not actually... Yeah, which is never... It doesn't ever really become the big thing. And it also depends on what you define as success. Success is actually a word that's not so simple to define. No. Is it financial? Is it popularity? Is it well-known? Like me... Depends on who's talking about it, what their views are, and it depends about the goal of the artist and what they were trying to achieve, what they see as success. Well, for example, I consider myself successful at this website, at my job, my day job, because I feel like I'm constantly growing, expanding, and moving forward. That, to me, is what identifies success. Whereas a failure would be if the, the website fell apart, if my, I got fired from my job because I didn't know what I was doing. So the idea that these pop acts are successful, if they're selling millions of records, even if it's only once, and then they fade, to the pop industry, that could be considered a success. So I understand where John's coming from for that. This may be a harsh idea. notion, but I, I, I identify failure as... Uh, as stagnancy very often. Now, a lot of people don't, though. That's my opinion. I very often see stagnancy as some form of failure, being like, well, it's par for the course, which means it fails in my eyes because it's probably not something I'll be avidly returning to. It's not something that I believe is expanding music and, and you know, applying what you just said, sort of constantly expanding our boundaries, um, expanding our horizons. I would say, expanding upon that idea, that success is just the ability the the ability to remain relevant in the discussion of an area. In, in music, if you are successful, people will still talk about you. And not in the sort of, oh, what's so-and-so up to nowadays or something like that, but will draw comparisons to your previous body of work and what is being made nowadays. That, I think, would be the definition of successful. But there are also plenty of bands who are still working bands who make their way, who still release albums every three years that aren't always talked about, that still exist. And I would say that they're not nearly as successful. But they're always yeah. talked about by someone. Like, for instance, we've, yeah, we've, we've had many of, many of throwbacks, like just last week, Judas Priest checking in on them just to see what they're doing today. We did the same with Paul McCartney and Black Sabbath. I mean, these are all bands that, in general, we admit are past their prime and past the point in which they were expanding music because at present, they're not. At present, they are par for the course. They are just doing what they're doing. It's doing nothing that is necessarily unique, but they are still discussed by people, perhaps more than us. And not as big as the next big thing. I still think, though, that success is more of a personal definition. An overarching definition can be very vague and compared to what you consider successful for you. Which I, I think I is what means more. Yeah, but I, I, as far as music goes, I, I would think personal success and things like that completely different definition than what I, I would actually say would be successful as an artist in music or successful as an actor or successful as a president you we would have very different definitions in this case i would just say being able to remain relevant would be a success just being able to be discussed and that i think is why so much of pop ends up not pop stars end up not being success because they are for, quickly forgotten I think that best defines why they end up being quote-unquote failures because it's a short-term success. It's on everybody's lips. But so quickly, even if they're still making royalties on their music, I mean, I'm sure Britney Spears still makes money, but nobody really talks about her anymore because she's no longer really relevant for the pop scene. So 
I would say yes. She is no longer successful. I'd hate to poke a hole in your theory, but she's still talked about. She's on uh, American Idol, and she's doing albums. Her music, though. Yeah, but how much of her music is actually... She had a number one hit, like, a year ago. On what billboard? On pop. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, so I'm saying she's still talked about. Well, I can acknowledge your your theory here, or at least your criteria, John, but I do believe... It can't. You can't possibly make that the ultimate criteria for success. It's always going to depend uh, upon your person. For instance, if someone who you know, if a classical composer who's trying to really further the next big thing in terms of in terms of scoring and composition, if he accidentally stumbles upon something, you know, in his, the course of his writing that might even broach like the pop equivalent for classical or something that at least people start playing over and over or that he's constantly getting royalties out of but he personally considered it to be a throwaway work that he did during a moment to get money and just you know kind of make his way but yet the stuff he's truly proud of still has not been known i would say that artist would consider himself a failure but until that... said has been achieved I would might say be very, might very well be a doorway for people to get into, but even then, you know, when you're talking about the high art levels, sometimes, no matter how much you can try to pitch something, it's just not going to be recognized because either people aren't ready for it yet, or there's no doorway. And I would say that that's because of the definition between the public, the difference between public and personal success and failure. Hmm. Personally, you set goals, but being successful in the public realm can just boil down to popularity. Yeah. And I think I think that's another way that you can say that both pop and indie are both related fairly specifically to one another, yet dramatically different. And that they are both, as super genres, extremely successful. Well, now that we've kind of looked into what pop is, let's look at what how we define indie, which we started to do before, but... Looking on the past, I, get, I, I I try to sum it up as looking on the past, and bringing that music to the to the present, as opposed to taking the music of the present and trying to push it into the future. To me, that is a trend within indie, but I'm yeah. not sure it defines indie. I think it's the kind of thing that actually is, um, it's almost an incidental reaction, because of the fact that many indie artists tend to be very, uh, I, I find that it's very in touch with their inner emotions, in touch with the kind of stuff that we saw today, and the kind of stuff that we saw in uh, the case of singles, um, such that they are very drawn to their influences. Their influences have painted who they are, and think- because of that, they see that as, as a perfect outlet in order to explain something. But it's not always, not always. It's no. just a trend. Well, and but, but I think a very what, prevalent trend. But I think what you're saying is the fact that they're heavily influenced, like they're heavily affected by their influences. Not so much that it has to do with the past, but that just they're always heavily inflict- in, influenced by by their influences. I think is a, a thing to tone on because you can have independent rap for one. Rap is not that old; it hasn't been around that long. Right. But you know, I mean, a lot of the nerdcore rappers can consider, consider them indie independent rappers because they're in a genre within rap that's fairly new, but it's based. And still pulls from a lot of older hip hop and rap, all the way back to the days of like um, you know, f- uh, Funkmaster Flex and all the you know older artists that 
birthed the genre, a lot of them pull from that as well as newer stuff. Plus, I mean, one of the biggest tropes of indie is that it's folksy. Sort of a, a rebirth of folk. Hmm. That was that was a, a one way in which indie music kind of got its popularity is presenting the idea of 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 revisiting the the nostalgia of what was kind of like the progenitor of American music. But see, that's not even just nostalgia. That's I think because of the rawness of folk, because that goes right in line with nostalgia. Is that very often if you're looking back to an earlier genre or an influence of yours. The reason you probably like it, I would presume, as long as you're not liking it for purely superficial reasons, is because of the the core, raw, um, either either the idea behind the genre, if indeed there was a genre, uh, an idea behind the genre, or just what you think its lasting effect was. And that could be defined as the raw essence of what that genre is. So, in the case of folk... A lot of people define that as being um, at least the raw side of folk, not merely using it for, you know, oh, I was in love yesterday and today I am not, or any type of, of uh, throwaway reason, although nothing is really a throw- throwaway reason. But, for instance, it was used for the raw inner political emotions that one was feeling, let's say, right back in the middle of the civil rights movement. That would be a very raw emotion the kind of the feeling of the nation let's say well, something I... that would you know that's why indie artists i think they kind of associate this nostalgia with the rawness of something but it doesn't have to be folk either right i think that the reason indie is similar to the past and this thing that that john's trying to say is because indie is more working class than pop is i feel like indie yeah that's perfect. is very much a working class message. When you brought up folk, I immediately thought of Painless Parker, who's a friend of the show, and a lot of the songs that he's either covered or written have been about the working class man. And I think indie does that a lot too. Look at the Decemberists. A lot of their songs are about the middle to poorer classes, or 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 mm, imply that at least. And so that's why I think indie, in this way that John's trying to compare them as an antithesis of each other. As a counterculture. As a counterculture, I think finds more solidity in the fact that indie is more working class and pop is more glamorous, more is less working class. Which actually, now I'm starting to come over to this only because, of course, the um, indie is a reactionary, and it the best way to, if you are working class, the best way to I mean, working class tends to be reactionary because if you are one of the masses, then of course you are reacting to what's going around you. You are in the midst of it. Um, so that is bound to be reactionary. You are in the best possible position to, I guess, comment on said topic. And I kind of have a perfect way to sum up how they integrate perfectly. Take the song, the music video by Mumfords and Sons that the three of us have seen. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the song, um, Hopeless Wanderer, where the video was shot very working class, very much playing in a barn, playing at a show, playing in the field, but they cast some of the biggest names in comedy and in sitcom acting to, that, to play the roles. My point is it's fusing this idea of more popular and richer with this kind of folksy feel. I, I wouldn't... That's that because say, the example you brought up is the tough one because I see, I think I that, see them okay. as indie pop. They are the ultimate fusion. I mean, 
pop because that I think is where we're gonna find the hole in this because of course it it's back to that old question well what is pop pop is just what's popular and I think at the end of the day you can almost leave the definition just that simple and it just so happened that Mumford and Sons in their indie semi quote unquote reactionary way you know using obviously the the Irish uh, the Irish folk backdrop as their voice of choice they were able to achieve a pop stance that was just what was popular at the time and they to be fair they chose a pretty formulaic uh uh style to to achieve it well that's why i'm saying that there's a big cross they're uh, an example of a big crossover between the two even though there might not always be any but i wouldn't even i wouldn't say their music sounds except on the most basic uh formula level I wouldn't say their music sounds anything like what we would consider a pure pop star. It's it's You're right. I'm not going to like I would never it's I would never compare Lady Gaga indie first to pop Mumford second. and Sons, but I do think their goal is similar when you look at the formula. Yes. I would definitely say that yeah, they just they wanted to be popular. Maybe they also had something to say, maybe they were honest when they wrote their songs. Maybe they were just looking for something that would become popular. And also because, you know, here's the thing. Even though I typically go down the route of saying, like, well, something is formulaic. Ergo, you know, it had, a, it had a goal. It was meant to achieve said demographic and so forth. And it's all about numbers at that point. Sometimes not they always, just did it Sometimes they just did it subconsciously. Exactly. Because it's pervasive. I mean, formulas are just in our bloodstream at this point. We've grown up with them, so you're just bound to follow patterns. And sometimes, you know, when people aren't the most self-checking, they can't always realize, you know, when their own song is is just fitting a formula to the letter. And, you know, at that point, it's not a matter of, of what their goal was, it's just a matter of what it came off as. I think that our best definition of what makes them anti, you know, anti cultures from each other, is the working class versus high class. At least in image, it also low art versus high art. No, 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 no because no, 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 well, remember, no, no, no. low art is not like low art is not like say like oh, that's for for peasants and whatnot necessarily. It's 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 just it's a it's a staple term. It's a staple term for something that is, you know, a little bit more accessible versus something that is, you know, let's say it requires it requires a lot more thinking. It requires a lot more investment. High art is is you you need some experience before I, you I, I guess you can I think that's still overgeneralizing it. I think that this idea of working class versus non-working class audiences makes more sense it is assumed generally that high art usually has more to say or involves more aspects like the working class messages well that's not to say that that Hmm. that the high art can't be found in pop well i think that there's we found it a few times Maybe not the highest of arts, but then again, we, I, we, where can we say in indie that we found well, this was you can't, really you high can't art? Draw the line. There's no There's line. There's no line. There There's really is. I think it's a vague spectrum that again depends upon your experience with art. For instance, if your experience is with it a lot be, of okay, how about this metaphor? Street corner performance to movie premiere, like that kind of a difference between the two. Yeah, well, at that point... The event for everyone versus the event for the elitist that you happen to get into. That might be a good kind of comparison between the two. Because when you look at the, the lifestyle the, the that so many indie artists present, they tend to wear blue jeans. Boys, girls alike, they tend to wear plaid. I mean, just as a general 
idea as just the persona that so many indie... And I see Mumford and Sons is kind of cashing off of that in many ways because they were doing the exact same thing. And they that's the, what so many people the plaid, do. The suspenders. You wear Salvation Army while so many people in, in what we would consider pop artists, video-wise or red carpet-wise, they wear Prada instead. I think it just boils down to because the the public, I think, has an equal fascination with the raw working class as it does the the high art and the um the glamour the media the circus yeah yeah i mean it's it but at the same time they're both they both have the uh, sort of similar drawbacks and sort of similar uh <laughs> positive the funny thing though is when you said media circus i mean you're honing in on something else that implies what that high art is is something that is publicized necessarily not always very often it's it's lesser known than your working class art because that's just you know numbers just, sheer numbers I was just very gonna, often it's a it's a it's a minute portion of the population because it's whoever has access within that particular bohemian culture which may have originated I was, and terminated on a street block i was mostly speaking to the fact that most pop artists tend to be, have a media circus following them look at your lady gaga's your madonna's your mariah carey's they are followed by paparazzi they are constantly in the media that kind of a thing. That's more what I meant. Whereas a band like the Decemberists are in, rarely at in the, the media. end of the day, though. But now, now you're splitting hairs when you look at what um, at what their audience is. You could say that's the glamour, but if you say the working class artist, the working class artist, well, might have a diverse audience. Maybe working class. Who knows? But then, if I look at a kind of Lady Gaga fan base, I would find even a more a prevalent majority working class and many other areas in many ways it's it it spreads farther i think the numbers i think favor that brand i mean well so in other words okay. you're saying that that i mean we're going to go back to the the premise of this entire thesis that the the numbers the vast majority of the public are going to follow the new big thing and what's looking toward the future well with any luck um the new big thing will be the retrospective looking back on the past and trying to expand upon it now oh, because come on. Of, no just because of the way that indie has actually now is a true competitor of pop no you're right it didn't markets. used to be because i don't think you because in in the end i don't think i think this is just a product of the time and the product of the fact that we have such a rich history now behind us in our in our relatively brief um span of 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 records archives the fact that we have so much to look at so much access suddenly nostalgia doesn't seem like it's that much of a stretch these days it seems like oh well this thing must i i must i must look back otherwise it is in danger of being forgotten or perhaps no one will notice in the grand scheme of things whereas before when there were lesser genres and people were more aware of what you were doing nostalgia would seem like real cop-out well, and also keep in mind, if you're looking at this comp- competition that indie is competing with pop, before indie was a genre, punk was competing with pop. Before punk was a thing, metal was competing with pop. However you want to look at it. I would, say, phase, then. I would say also that pop itself hasn't had nearly the same competition with uh, punk, with metal, with what have you, alt. I mean... I think that's because even, it's so... Di- but that's because is, it's so diverse. 
You can't define indie in the same way you can define pop. Those are it's a more of a genres. juggernaut kind of a piece. Like if you if actually, you're defining if we're, showdown. if we're going by your definition and we're we're taking it as a as a nostalgia based art form, then it can dip into whatever the hell it wants exactly. to. Exactly, and but, but it that still may, remains and, indie as opposed to anything else. It still can be classified as indie. It still will be able to be to, to have that label on it because indie has become a super genre. Indie in the way only that we take these varying uh, morsels of the past and then formulize them, which I don't know is the best thing. We're not talking about what's good or bad. That's not what this discussion's about. It's about the relation and the parallels. Good or bad is another level to the discussion, but right now we're trying to figure out if pop and indie are two parallels to each other because they've become such large super genres where their actual root word of what describes them is more or less meaningless. Farewell. And I was instigating. I was curious. It would if you be see nice. Any good and bad in here? It would be nice for indie and pop to truly start merging. I, I mean, I, I am making. Of... A, I am going to insert a bit of a claim here. I, I do think there is something a little bit negative about that because, well, you know, even as much as a formulaic uh, showcase piece of a nostalgic work that does show bits and pieces of the past, even as much as that may spread that area of history to someone else in the most shallow or, or superficial of ways that's in my way in my opinion that is a, a that is a sort of a a stopgap measure rather than if said person had just gone back into said genre and you know gone at it from the core well i think it'd that... be a much more immersive perhaps a full-fledged way of of learning but i think that just more so pushes john's theory together that these two genres, good or bad, are kind of at odds with each other and have a lot of similarities. The the new they political parties of, of music. Yeah, but that only leaves one. That only, <laughs> well, that only leaves one little hole, and that of of course that the concept of pop always looking forward, which I believe that pop is just as equally uh, nostalgic. And I, I, we already gave that example with Lady Gaga looking back to Madonna. And, you know, Madonna was following up on, on previous trends also. Debbie I mean, Harry. Yeah, there you go. So the Blondie. You know, well, I I think it's that, just, as far it's, as I'm concerned, that's just a separate branch. But it's it still just, follows. It's just the idea of always trying to infuse the new things that are discovered into the genre. But by that uh, logic, you could say that an indie artist is simply trying to the infuse same. the new things with the nostalgia. If you happen to see the nostalgia more, maybe it's just because it happened to be so painted as more on the news. I think that John's theory doesn't have holes if he drops that part of it. I think the idea that indie and pop as super genres have a lot in common, I think is a very true statement. I agree. I just don't think that one of them is based in one place. I think they both are based in both places. I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that they're, that one is one, one is A, one is B, but I say one leans definitely more A and the other one leans Well, I am more interested B. in exploring That would these. be, that would be the main difference. One tends to look more one way than the other. Does. I think that that's depends the on the. No, yeah, that's the fine line thing. I mean, but for it's instance, also the fact for that... instance, let's say that indie, the as a genre, were to um, look more toward the future than toward the past. Guarantee, you'd probably be calling it alternative. Yeah, well, that's what I probably. think. That's why I think at their roots, the ultimate summation of this entire discussion is that they are both super genres. Yes. They're both super genres yeah. that pluck to other places, and they both have capacity to do amazing, great things, 
And the worst things we've ever heard. And they're both the prefix. They're both the adjective that describes perhaps something else in a little bit more detail. It's the basic framework. Question, did you catch today's genre, let's say, anywhere on the internet of what do you mean the today's? album today? Uh, what, Indie Motown? I well, guess that's we what we be... decided upon. Uh, it was, uh, the band is just described as Indie Folk uh, or Indie Pop. See, that tells me that even, you know, people out there are even confused well, about where to place it. And this is just an inevitable problem for the future as bands obviously try to evade these things. But we've also, also touched on that. And, and I will say today's album specifically is definitely differently influenced than their previous work. Because I listened back to the previous work and there is a definite taste difference. An actual flavor difference in the music itself. Because their previous albums, I would have said, yeah, Indie folk. These, this one, uh, Complete Surrender, yeah, Indie Motown. Yeah, interestingly enough, just looking at it now, the genre, is two genres are our labeled least on Wikipedia, yes, this is our wiki research showing, Indie Pop and Folk Rock. Yeah. Isn't that kind of funny, considering that we stemmed this, and yet they're considered Indie Pop, and those were our two things of choice, and this is considered, oh, the perfect merge. But Pop there is the noun, which we always consider stronger than the adjective, and that's the rule of thumb whenever you're trying to define something. Always put the stronger, more prevalent one last. Which seems to be the case here. Seems to be the case here? I think so. Meh. In this case, no. <laughs> I, knew, I knew he was gonna No, I kind of, I kind of, well, I say that the, the adjective in this case, when you use the word pop, alt, or indie, those three words as adjectives... I feel like that's already that sets your basis before anything else comes afterwards. Yeah. That it, it's it's your phylum. It divides you between plant, animal, and fungi right off away. So you already know that the form itself is going to have several distinctive features. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I think you know, even though it's not quite so simple. But yeah. even then, you know, it's not even wasn't even as simple when it when it um, in terms of uh, uh, what should we call it? In terms of evolution, it's not simple either. They just yeah. kind of like drew a line that's somewhere and like said, this. "Well, that's, kind that's of like that, that animal animal that seems to have not gone undergone mutations for the longest period of time." So we'll refer to that stage as the um, sex animal. Yes. <laughs> well, and also like that, ultimately you can give the knowledge, but once people make the knowledge their own, they can often screw it up because they're adjusting it or tweaking it in their head to make it work better for them. Or they want to be different. Or they want to be different. Yeah, ultimately. Um, I think that's a great way to uh, wrap up this discussion and, and, and this the understanding that... All artists want to be different. Yep. Most artists want, want to be different. Except for those that want to be the same. Thanks, yeah, yeah, except for those. Those except are for those. also there. But Steve. they were originally different anyway, so there you go. I'm moving on from this. Steve, do you have a spam for us this week? Of course I have a spam for you today. Would I deny you a spam? Is it a good spam this week? I'll let you be the judge of whether it's a good spam or not. Well, Well, it's usually not a good spam. Um, So maybe you should be the judge. That depends on how you define good. I mean, if I'm watching an MST3K, is it a good movie? Well, then it is. I'll just read the spam. Hurrah! That's a... That's what exactly what I was exploring for. What a stuff existing here at this blog. Thanks, admin of this webpage. What a stuff. By Toronto Condo Furniture. 
That was pretty. No, that was pretty good. What a stuff. What a stuff. It made oh, me I feel like better about myself. That's right. I should have just cut it out except for what a stuff. Yeah, it just made the, the email, the, the spam this week, what a stuff. Oh, I'm yeah, going to start I... commenting on other websites saying what a stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> this <laughs> is exactly what I've been looking for and we have don't now need, found. Crash Quotes does not be, need to be identified as spam. Not at this juncture. <laughs> oh, no. I posted personally, not as Crash Quotes. Okay. Obviously. Wow. Very douche of you. Hmm. I'm not memifying this podcast. Moving forward. Next week we have our guest for August. Um, not that Galatea wasn't, but she was technically supposed to be for July. Anyhow, our guest next week is our continuing quest to have all of the Wasties here individually for their individual music careers as well. We will be having Molly Herbert Wilson of the Wasties coming on solo, and she is bringing the album The Once by The Once. I hope uh, I remember that. Yeah, you might forget. So she'll be joining us next week. I just had to hear it the once. Ha <laughs> ha! And she will uh, be playing some music for us as well as uh, bringing us that record. So we're excited to finally have her on solo. So the quest for Robert continues. Um, we'll find him eventually. Yeah, we'll, we'll find we'll him somewhere. Him somewhere. Chasing um, him with a mic. I'm okay with kidnapping. <laughs> it wouldn't be a first. Well, that's I true. I mean, it would be a first, and that is not self-incriminating. Don't make me edit. I don't want to edit you. <laughs> he will, though. That's a, a editor's threat or something. Prerogative. Editorial threat. That's right. An editorial exactly threat. Prerogative. Um, thanks for listening, as always, guys. Uh, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, tag email, tagline. Yeah. YouTube. We, we have been updating the YouTube channel. We're telegram. getting through the. Um, yes, yeah, send us a te- telegram. We'll telex. give you. A- Find a Telex machine. And then send us a telegram. <laughs> a Telex. Send us a Telex machine so we can receive it. Mail okay. us. Actually, no. That, that would be hard. Please keep your um, questions, comments, and suggestions coming. If you have a recommendation for us, please post it somewhere. Let us know that album artist you would like us to review. Try and keep it somewhat modern within the last five years, at least at the mo- largest outset. Um, but as always, thank you for listening. And also, as always, remember... Music is life, and And life life is is good. good.